For those of you that have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And as you're turning there, I want to say, so good to be here with you tonight. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for the invitation. Um, I just want to tell you, Evangel, it's been an amazing year. I've really seen God do some great things. I've seen people get saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, people restored, rededicated their life to the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I was preaching at an independent church in Tuscaloosa, and there was a lady that rolled up to the altar in a wheelchair. She said, I'm ready to get out of this thing. Amen. Even saw somebody with faith that got out of a wheelchair and began to walk around. What is that lady doing? How is she doing today? I don't know. She lives in Atlanta, Georgia. But I'm going to tell you that our God has not changed. Amen. I want to tell you that as amazing of a year that it's been, I feel like God's just been telling me in my spirit, get ready. Get ready. Amen. 2016 has been amazing. But I really believe in 2017, God's going to show up and he's going to show out in a supernatural way. Do you believe that here tonight? Amen. Just reading to you one verse. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, King James Version. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. My message here tonight, I just want to talk to you about the breath of God, the breath of God. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Lord, I pray that you have your way here tonight. Lord, these are people that are hungry for you, Lord. That's why they're showing up 45 minutes to an hour before service, praying and seeking your face. And I pray, Lord, that that just continues. Lord, I pray that you breathe on these young people. I pray, Lord, that you breathe on the church. And, Lord, I pray that you just have your way and continue to do what it is that you want to do. And, Lord, I pray that we will always remain sensitive to the Spirit and allow you to have your holy way. Do what it is only you can do tonight, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask and we pray. Amen. Something that came to my mind during this time of the year is that we have so much to be thankful for. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The week before Thanksgiving, it was a Tuesday night. I got a text message from my cousin, and she said that it doesn't look like Granny is going to make it much longer. She's probably got 48 hours to live because she suffered a stroke. An hour later, I got another text message from my cousin saying that Granny is no longer with us, but she has gone on to be with the Lord. So the Friday before Thanksgiving, I was at my Granny's funeral and different ones in my family. They began to get up and they began to reminisce about good times and funny stories. And they began sharing about different things of my Granny's life. And one thing that I had noticed, different ones that got to share, my brother, cousins, aunts, uncles, different ones. And one common denominator I noticed between all of them as they were sharing wonderful memories about my granny, which was my mom's mom, was simply the love that she uh, showed, the love that she expressed. More specifically, the love of Christ that she was a great example of. 
And I began thinking as I was driving to the funeral that this is a very sad time because here it is. My mom's mom has passed away. My mom's been dead for nearly 10 years, and she doesn't even know that her own mom has just passed. But then simply God reminded me, and he said, Caleb, your mom knew that Granny had passed before anybody on earth had even had a clue about it. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so there I was on the Friday just before Thanksgiving, very hard time for my family, and I was standing over her funeral, and I just began thinking about her life, thinking about everything that we had to be thankful for. Amen. We were thankful that uh, that she was a good Christian lady. We were thankful for the way that she raised her kids, one of them being my mother. And so we had a lot to be thankful for. One thing that I think about when I read this verse in Thessalonians, when it says, give thanks in everything. Does that mean that you are to be thankful when bad things happen to you? No, not necessarily, because at times bad things happen to good people. But however, we always have something to be thankful for. Amen. Granny went to be on the Lord with the Lord, so we miss her, but we're thankful that she crossed into eternity. We're thankful that we get to see her again. And one thing that I'm thankful for, I have a lot of people that have gone on before me, but I'm thankful that one day I'll get to see my brother again, my mom, my granny, so many others. But as much as I look forward to seeing each and every single one of them, there is one that I want to see more than anyone, and his name is Jesus Christ. Are you thankful that you're saved here tonight? Amen. Are you thankful that you're washed in the blood? That you were just a dirty, rotten sinner on your way to hell. But God, in his grace, he saved your soul. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for. Doesn't matter what you get for Christmas, how much, how little. Simply, we always have a lot to be thankful for in Christ. Amen. We have something that the world doesn't have. We have hope. We have joy. We have peace that is unspeakable. I want to tell you here tonight that most of all, I am thankful to be raised in a Christian home. Amen. I'm thankful that we can come together in a building like this on a Wednesday night and worship God because there's a lot of people in other parts of the country that they have to have church underground just to talk about the name of Jesus. One thing that I'm thankful for is that life itself. That was just the introduction to my sermon. I'm thankful for life itself. The Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and he became a living being. Before the foundations of the earth existed, God was around. Amen. God is ageless. We can learn this from the creation story. He is timeless. He was not voted in. He was not elected. Before anything else ever existed, before the heavens, the earth, before the angels or, or, or the devil, he already was. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. I find it fascinating. And the truth be told, friends, is that God didn't need me and he didn't need you. But yet he thought enough of us to create us. I'm thankful for life. How many of you know that life itself is a gift from God? Amen. The Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living soul. Can I tell you here tonight that you're not here by some accident? Amen. It doesn't matter how you got here. 
Whether you were born in wedlock, out of wedlock, can I tell you here tonight, you're not just here because of a man or woman or some people say some oops or some accident. But might I remind you what God said in Jeremiah 1 and 5? He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Amen. You were created in the very image of God. There are a lot of people walking around that feel that they have a lot of flaws. They're, 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 they're too skinny. They're too overweight. They're too tall. They're too short. They're too pale. They're too dark. goes on and on and on. But, friends, can I tell you that you were created the very way that God wanted you to be? Amen. So much to be thankful for. The Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into Adam. I am thankful for my life. Many of you know my testimony, but for those of you who don't, or maybe you've heard it before, I was born a crack baby, meaning that my biological mother, she did drugs when she was pregnant with me. So I was having seizures every 30 seconds when I was born. The doctor said that it was almost literally as lightning would be frying parts of my brain. The doctor said I would never walk, never talk. Here I am years later, 27, almost 28 years old. And the only reason I'm still here today is simply because God reached his hill and hand down. He touched my body, saved my soul, filled me with the Holy Ghost and called me to preach. And so I have dedicated my life to the Lord that as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Amen. How many of you know that our life is like a vapor in the wind here today and gone tomorrow? You don't have to wait till you get old to realize that. I don't know about you, but to me personally, it seems like 2016 was the fastest year of my life. Think about it. We're two weeks from Christmas. Three weeks from New Year's, where did 2016 go? Before you know, it'll be 2018. We only have one life to live, and we must live it well for God. We have a lot of different distractions going on. We have a lot of different things that we get caught up in. But friends, might I remind you here tonight that you were created by God for two reasons. One was to worship him because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. But the second one was to have fellowship with God because the Bible says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Aren't you thankful that even though you might be the black sheep of your family, even aren't you thankful that though some may shun you, some may not want anything to do with you, aren't you thankful that there's a God up in heaven that is crazy about you and he wants to have fellowship with you? Amen. Isn't it amazing that the creator of the universe wants to spend time with his creation? How many of you know and understand that we were not only created by God, but we were created for God? Our lives should be centered around God, his glory, and his presence. When people look at us, they are not to see us, but simply they are to see him. One thing that I want to ask you, are you living a lifestyle that is pleasing and acceptable to God? Are you living a lifestyle that when people look at you, that they will see that there's something missing on the inside of them? When people look at you, will they see the love of Christ? I was thinking about my granny. She passed away when she was 86 years old. And I think to myself, man, I don't know how much longer I have to live. I don't know. I don't know when the when God may come back, when they may put me six feet under, but I may 
made up my mind that I want to live a lifestyle that whenever they put me underground that people will say, Caleb really loved the Lord. He tried to tell everybody about Jesus. Whenever I die, I want people to be able to say that that man was truly a righteous man. Amen. What do you want people to think about you when your life is over? What do people think about you now in the way that you live your life? The breath of God. The first one, the first example is the one that I shared with you in Genesis. The second one that I think about whenever I think about the breath of God is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Here it is that God takes a prophet, he takes a son of man into a valley of dry bones. Now, one thing I will say, I understand that, you know, that whenever we are reading the Bible and understanding Scripture, we have to understand it in its context and the setting for back then. But, however, I also believe that it has an application and a word today. And I know a lot of people say, well, you're taking it out of context. But, however, though, one thing that really sticks out to me is that God takes this prophet into a valley of dry bones, and he asks him the question. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And God was asking the prophet the question, not because God didn't know the answer to the question, but simply he was telling in the prophet's faith. And the prophet said, oh Lord, you alone know the answer. See, what had happened was is that God was getting ready to restore Israel again. They had been spiritually dead and he was getting to restore them. And can I just give you the Caleb Gordon unauthorized version for a moment? He takes them into this valley of dry bones and all of a sudden he takes the ankle bone and connects it to the foot bone. And he takes the foot bone, connects it to the leg bone and takes the leg bone and puts it connected to the hip bone and when God got through putting that thing back together it was a great army but notice what the text says he says that I will breathe into you and ye shall live this is found in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 5 so here it is that God had put the structure back together he the bones had come back together your Bible says that skin had began to form around them but notice what happened they still weren't alive why were they not alive because they didn't have any breath in them. What did the Bible say in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7? After God had formed Adam out of the dust, out of the ground, after he had created him, he didn't become alive until God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Amen. So the structure was put back together, but because God hadn't breathed into it yet, it was not a living thing. We have churches, we have youth groups that have good structure. They've been put, that have been put together very well. They've got outreach ministry. They got children's ministry. They got youth ministry and programs and game nights and fun things and a lot of different things going on. But they have no breath in them. If you don't have breath in you, you're not alive. Breath in the Bible represents two things. One, it represents life, and two, it represents the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 14, I will put my Spirit in you. Amen. How many of you know that we need the Spirit of God? Amen. As a Pentecostal church, we need His Spirit. One thing that disturbs my spirit more than anything, there was... This one church I used to preach at, they were averaging 400 on Sunday mornings. They had two different services. Just last Easter, they had over 700 people in service. They were on their way to becoming a mega church. Now today, the church is running just barely 100 people. 
What happened in that short time frame? What happened in just a year's time? What happened was whenever they would begin having meetings, there was one money person that spoke up in the church. This person makes well over six figures, and they said they said that we need to change a few things to draw more people. And someone asked them that their opinion. They said, what do we need to do? And they said, well, for one, I don't think that we really need to speak in tongues anymore in the altar. New people aren't going to understand that. We're going to offend people. We're going to run people off. Another person said, we're not going to lay hands on people anymore. I'm not making this stuff up. This is something that really happened. And, and they said that we're not going to lay hands on people anymore. And then the next thing you know, dysfunction started coming in the church. And so then you got a group of people over here that want to stay Pentecostal, stay true to the word and be full gospel. Then you got a group of people over here that are saying, no, let's get away from that. Let's draw more. Let's draw more people. Let's become a mega church. Let's draw in more money and do whatever, whatever it is we got to do. And so the next thing you know, people started leaving. The pastor resigned. Youth pastors in South Carolina, worship leader resigned. All of these different things started to happen. All why? Because they didn't want the spirit of God in the church. Amen. What do we need? The spirit of God. Amen. What good will it do if you fill up the church or fill up the youth group, but then you don't have the spirit of God and everybody dies and goes to hell? But what we need is his spirit. It's so awesome what y'all are doing here, how y'all are meeting before services, seeking God and praying. Amen. Because I want to tell you, revival is wherever the people are. And when I say that, I'm talking about their spirits and their hearts. It can't come from a preacher, from a pastor, the evangelist. Pastor asked me just a couple weeks ago, he said, did you bring revival with you in your suitcase? Just kidding with me. But friends, I want to tell you that we've got to be hungry for God. Another one that I think about when I think about the breath of God is I think about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, meaning God breathed. Amen. The Bible was written by human hands, but it was breathed upon by God. How many of you know that the word of God is very important? How many of you know that it is crucial to the Christian life? Anybody in here love to eat? Amen. I love to eat. Ate all day at Thanksgiving, ate so I couldn't eat anymore. Ate lunch, going to eat dinner after service. Then I'm going to have another meal, probably eat another time after that before I go to bed. But I want to tell you, as much as I love to eat and as much food as I eat, I can't live off today what I had at Thanksgiving. Amen. I can't live off what I had last week or even yesterday. But simply, I've got to feed myself food daily. Well, friends, I want to tell you it's the same way with the word of God. Amen. We've got to feed ourselves daily the word. But what was it that Jesus said? He said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every worth that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I want to tell you here tonight that if you really believe that the word of God is breathed by God, then you got to get in it and read it. We got too many Christians, too many teenagers walking around that have no hope, have no joy, have no peace, always walking around mad, sad, and depressed because they feel like that they can't make it through the day. But friends, I want to tell you, we got a lot of 
of people walking around saying, I need a word. I need a word from God. Friends, a word from God don't just come on Sundays or come on Wednesdays when the pastor's preaching. But I want to tell you, a word from God can come to you 365 days a year. All you got to do is get in it and open it up. You don't have to wait till you get older. You don't have to wait till you get out of high school or middle school. But friends, I want to tell you, the word of God is life changing. I want to tell you, as much as I love preaching, sometimes I just got to preach to myself. Sometimes I just get along with the word whenever I get discouraged, whenever I get frustrated, and I say, God, I got to have a word, not so I can go and preach at evangels, not so I can go and preach to anybody else, but God, I got to preach to myself right now. And then I'll get along with the word and I'll start reading. I'll start reading about different things that Paul went through. I'll start reading about Jeremiah. Whenever I feel ineffective and feel like get, giving up and walking away from the ministry, I'm reminded that Jeremiah preached for over 40 years, didn't have one convert, but when his life was over, he heard the words, well done. How many of you want to hear the words, well done, when your life is over with? Whenever I get frustrated and I think to myself, things aren't really going the way that I wish they would, I read about Paul and all that he encountered for traveling around and preaching the gospel. I'm reminded that Paul said that he knew what it was like to be abound and to be abased, to have a little, to have a lot. Paul was shipwrecked on, on, a, on a, um, in Malta. He was hungry. He was starving. He was abandoned. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he was all by himself getting ready to die when he was on trial, went through all of this. Why would Paul sacrifice all of this to preach the gospel? Why? Because he understood his life was not his own. Friends, as I said earlier, you were created not only by God, but for God. The day that you got saved, your life was no longer your own. I want to ask you here tonight, are you living for God or are you living for yourself? Amen. Who are you living for? It's either one or the other. But I made up my mind a long time ago that I'm going to live for God, and if none go with me, Lord, still I will follow. Amen. Our lives are like a vapor in the wind, here today and gone tomorrow. What we need is the breath of God. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Amen. When's the last time you just got lost in his presence? Amen. Earlier this year, there was a man that made the statement. He said it was a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon after church. And he said, the preacher was kind of long-winded today, wasn't he? And I just kind of hold my head down, shaking it like this. And I'm thinking to myself, what difference does it make? Amen. And you must understand, this particular Sunday, the altars were filled. You had people laying out in the floor. You had tears flowing. The anointing was in the building. God was moving. People were making things right with God. And I'm thinking to myself, what difference does it make if he preached all day long? This is a move of God. But see, we got too many people that say we just want a little dab to do us. God, we want you to come and move in this time frame. And if you're not done, we're leaving this place. But I want to tell you here tonight that when God breathes in the room, when God is moving, we got to get wrapped up in his presence. Amen. You know what I love about coming here? It doesn't matter how long I preach, 15 minutes, an hour, however long. 
Amen. Just come and just let God move. There's one church I preached at. I'm not going to name it. I've preached there a couple times. Pastor, he's a great guy. I preached a special service for him a couple months ago, and he told me, he said, Caleb, I just want to remind you. He said, if I preach 30 minutes, that means I'm long-winded. And I'm thinking, yes, I know. 25-minute mark, I'm not even halfway done with my message. Here comes a piano player, jumps on the piano, starts playing music. And I don't even mean it was softly where I could keep talking. I'm talking about it was loud. I'm like, I'm halfway done, but I guess I'm done now. Seriously. I tell you, one day I'm going to write a book of, of some of the places I go. It will amaze you. But we have places like that. And can I tell you, that was not a Baptist church. That was not a Methodist church. Wasn't Presbyterian. It was a Pentecostal church. But friends, one thing that I've noticed in this shift is that more and more people say we're going to do three worship songs, 15 minutes of worship, 25-minute sermon, 10 minutes of altar, and then we're going to rush out of this place. Where are we rushing to? What better place to be than the house of the Lord? Amen. And I just want to encourage you here tonight, don't lose what you already have. Amen. Get ready for 2017. What's God going to do? I have no clue. But let's just say if the youth group starts to expound and starts to just blow up, don't start thinking we got to do this, we got to do that to grow it, to get more people to come. Hey, that's okay. Let me tell you, I was a youth pastor for a short time. Youth ministry is definitely not my calling. I was just doing it to fill a need at my home church. Okay? I was one of these youth pastors everybody talks bad about. Well, I got to be careful I say that. There's a lot of things you can think about that. But when I say that, when we had youth services, special youth services, we had that place booming better than any nightclub in Birmingham. Amen. We had the smoke. We had the lights. I almost gave myself a seizure with the lights. <laughs> Seriously. It was pretty bad. But can I tell you that even though we had that place rocking, I'm talking about we had the music turned up, all the old people were complaining. It was just something else. But can I tell you that we didn't get away, even though we had all that, we didn't get away from the Spirit of God. And we gave the altar call. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Friends, I want to tell you, you can have a good time in the Lord, but the thing that we need most is God. Amen. You know, there was um, people like to argue and fuss over um, little small nitpicky things. And one day I was, was in a conversation with a couple ministers, and one thing that they were talking about, one thing that one person was talking about, should I say, he said, it really bothers me when I go in some churches and they don't have a cross in the sanctuary. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm always so busy worshiping God, I never really notice either way. You know, I'm not very popular in a lot of preaching circles because I, I make comments like that. But another one of my friends, Bobby, he's very outspoken too, and he said this. He said, honestly, I could care less if a church has a cross in the sanctuary. He said, I hate it when they take the cross out of the message. Amen. Friends, I want to tell you that we got to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. At the end of the day, we want to do everything we can to glorify God. When we preach sermons and teach, we want to study 
show ourselves approved, be well equipped to teach the word. When we're doing dramas or worship, we want to practice so that we can bring glory to his name. But friends, I want to tell you more than all of that, we need the anointing of God to flow. Amen. It can't be bought. It can't be manipulated. But how many of you know that we need the anointing? How many of you know that the anointing is what makes all the difference? Amen. Thinking about the Spirit of God, can I tell you honestly what what really brought me into Pentecostal churches? What really made me want to be Pentecostal? I grew up Methodist. Um, Nobody in my family had ever been Pentecostal. Nobody. I think like a great, 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 great grandmother, someone said. But other than that, no one Pentecostal. My, my dad grew up Methodist. My mom grew up Baptist. And I wouldn't share this at many churches, but just we're just talking tonight. And my dad's biggest issue with the Methodist church was when they started to say that homosexuality was okay. My dad, it always bothered my dad because he grew up Methodist. That's all that he knew. But, but the problem is he kind of felt like he was a prisoner in his own denomination. And so had that. My mom grew up Baptist, and that's all that she had ever known. And so I grew up in the Methodist church. As a matter of fact, well, you know, my name is Caleb Gordon. Well, I have a brother named John Gordon. His middle name is Wesley. So to show you I grew up Methodist, I even have a brother named John Wesley. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But what really drew me was my mom took me out of public school. I was getting in trouble and one issue I really ran into, I, I used to go to Pittman, which now is called Hueytown Middle School. I never will forget in sixth grade, a teacher tried to make me do a book report on Harry Potter. Now, this is the first Harry Potter book. I was in sixth grade in 2000, 2001, something like that song. I can't even remember. And she tried to make me do a book report on Harry Potter. And me, at, at, in the sixth grade at 12 years old, I said, I'm not doing one on Harry Potter. She said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. And she's like, I'm going to tell your parents. Me being a smart aleck back then, I was like, well, you can go ahead and call them now. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Well, of course, one thing led to another. Found myself in the principal's office. Wasn't the first time. Wasn't the last time. But I told myself, I'm not doing a book report on Harry Potter. This is, I was 12 years old. I said, I'm not doing it. So my mom, she's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take you out of public school now. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I should have just done the book report on Harry Potter. <laughs> Next thing I know, she takes me to this Christian school. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking to myself, this is awful. So next thing I know, I'm in this small little Christian school, don't know anybody, Everybody's looking at me crazy. It's probably the first black kid in the history of the school. (laughs) And then to top it off, it's a Pentecostal church. We didn't know that at the time. Church of God, I never heard of it. It's on Ninth Street, not on the main road in Pleasant Grove. Didn't know anything about it. Youth pastor invites me to come on a Wednesday night. I told him, I said, well, I have my church that I go to. And he's like, okay, well, since you have a church, I want you to go there and be faithful. And I was just impressed that he didn't keep inviting me and try to pull me away from my church. 
So I went one Wednesday night. I was like, man, this is really cool. Everybody's so loving. I really like it. Then he invited me to what's called a boys' rendezvous. It's where boys go for like a weekend camping and uh, pioneers for Christ, kind of like war rangers and stuff like that. So I went with that, and that was cool. Started becoming friends with more people in my school. Well, did I know that some of the people in the school went to church there as well? So I start going more on Wednesdays. Next thing you know, I'm going to the Church of God on Wednesday nights, going to the Methodist Church on Sundays. It was important to my mom that we went to church together, so I kept doing that. Then I started to kind of feel a, 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 a struggle inside because it's like I really want to go to the Church of God all the time and not just sometimes. And I got released from my mom one day. She's like, son, she said, it's really always been important to me that we go to church as a family, but I see that you can't grow here anymore, and I want you to go wherever you want to go. And, and this is before I could drive. And so she said, every single service, we will take you to the Church of God early, and we'll go to our church, and we'll come back and pick you up, and then we'll go home. And they did that until I got my driver's license. Then I started going to the Church of God all the time. I can remember I used to sit in the back. I'd feel very uncomfortable. Here it is. People are speaking in tongues. When the pastor said, let's pray, everybody's praying. People are falling out in the spirit. I never will forget. I'm just going to do an illustration real fast. One time I was in the back of the church, and I wanted to go up front for prayer. And as I'm walking up, I see they're laying hands on somebody, and somebody falls out. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, I grew up Methodist. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, it scared the daylights out of me. The pastor's like, you want prayer? Uh-uh, I'm going to stay back here. <laughs> but I'm telling you, though, in all seriousness, even as that happened, even as it scared me, there was something I felt on the inside of me there that I didn't feel at the other church. And I was like, God... Please keep everybody speaking in tongues away from me. Don't have nobody touch me. But I'm going to keep coming here because I feel you. Amen. Went to youth camp, 15 years old. Got slain in the spirit for the first time. That was different. I was praying by myself. Next thing I know, all of a sudden I hear this really loud sound. Apparently that loud sound was the back of my head hitting a chair but it didn't hurt. And I was like, wow, this is real. This is different. And that same year, I got my calling to preach. A couple years later, 2007, I'm at the Alabama State Camp meeting Perry Stone is preaching. I didn't know who Perry Stone was, so I could show up 15 minutes before service, get a good seat. <laughs> that night at Metro, I had to sit in the overflow room. I had to watch church on TV while I was at church. Talk about awkward. He gives the altar call. I'm like, I'm going to go stand in the back of the church just to feel like I've been in church. I walk in. I feel electricity running all through my body. I look at my friend. I said, I feel electricity running through my body. I didn't know how else to explain it. And he said, Caleb, he's strong, isn't he? I said, who is he? He said, Caleb, that's the Holy Ghost. I said, I don't know who the Holy Ghost is. But I said, I got to have it. Amen. A couple years later, I started seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A lot of churches and youth groups in my denomination go to Winterfest. 5,000 youth get the Holy Ghost. I didn't get it. 
I start getting frustrated. Now, I understand it. Why is it I can't get it? Is it? And then, then I really have this conflict because my, my youth pastor is telling me it's for everybody and everybody can receive it. And I'm thinking, well, if everybody can receive it, why can't I get it? And I start getting frustrated. And I start saying to myself, I'm going back to the Methodist church. Forget all this stuff. I'm done with it. And then all of a sudden, one day after not giving up, after not giving out, I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, my parents join the church. And my mom, she always had bad inner ear problems. She goes up for prayer one service. God healed her ear. The next minute later, she starts speaking in tongues, and I'm just for it. I'm like, wow, not only did I receive it, my mom received it. Next thing you know, a few minutes later, she walks back up to the front of the prayer room, or the prayer line, I mean. She begins laying hands on people, begins praying for them, and I'm like, my goodness. Friends, I want to tell you that the reason I'm Pentecostal today is not because of the preaching. It's not because of the worship. It's not because of the building of personality, but simply it's because of the spirit of God. Can I tell you here tonight that if you will stay Pentecostal if you allow God to have his way on Sundays, on Wednesdays every single time you come to meet there will be people that will be drawn to this place because they will see that it's real and there's something different when they walk in the door. Amen. Who would have thought Caleb Gordon a Methodist boy the younger brother of John Wesley, seriously, would be Pentecostal one day. Who would have ever thought it? But see, friends, I want to tell you, just as the Spirit of God moved in the Bible, he's still moving today. Amen. Isn't it unfortunate that when we tell people things, like when I told y'all earlier about a lady getting out of a wheelchair, people look at you like you're crazy, like you're doing drugs or something. But can I tell you that the Spirit of God has not changed at all? He's still setting the captive free. He's still saving people. I was preaching at a church, and this girl comes up to me, and she's talking to me, and she says, you probably don't remember me, do you? And I'm kind of looking at her, and I'm thinking to myself, who is this exactly? Have I met this person? She begins talking, and I said, yes, I remember you. And little did I know that she was somebody that I've not seen in about 10 years. We used to go to elementary school together. She got off in drugs. She actually became a drug dealer, okay? This little short white girl, one you would never expect, she became a drug dealer, got bad, caught up in drugs, kicked out of different public schools, and, and her life was just really messed up. But then she went to Teen Challenge, and she's turned her life around, and she's living for God, and she's been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I asked her the other day, I said, what is it that you're wanting to do? She said, I want to become a missionary and tell everybody about God. Friends, I want to tell you that the Spirit of God is still alive. It's still able. It's still moving. I want to ask you here tonight, are you hungry for a move of God? Amen. 2007, get ready. What's coming? I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I can't ever tell people what's happening next because God most of the time doesn't show me what's happening next in my life. People ask me all the time, what's your five-year plan? I don't have one. I'm just going to serve God and go wherever the Spirit leads. Amen. Friends, I want to tell you we're living in the last days. 
When is God going to come back? We don't know. But every day is getting closer. Here tonight, I want to tell you that I'm thankful that God is a restorer. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God was getting ready to restore Israel. Can I tell you that he's still in the restoring business? 2015, I walked through a season called hell the whole entire year. Depressed, ready to give up in ministry. It was just awful. But 2016, God restored. And can I tell you that God has done more in this one year than I would have ever thought possible. Amen. But the best has yet to come. Do you believe that here tonight? If you will, please stand. I'm ready to close. Here tonight, if you have a need, no matter if it's healing, no matter if it's something spiritual, no matter if it's a battle in your mind, I want to tell you it's nothing that God can't take care of. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? My friends, he's the creator of the universe. He is the restorer. There's nothing that God can't do. Here tonight, maybe you have a need. Maybe simply you just want God just to stir you up on the inside again. Or you need a touch of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've been spiritually dead and nobody knows it. But here tonight, I want to tell you that God can breathe on you and give you life again. I want to open up the altars. And if you have a need, or if you just want to come and seek God, I want to invite you to come now. He's here.